I'm so glad all of you are here and sticking around for the festivities. I think we have a train ride. That's good. Thank you. Um, that I usually get on once or twice, but usually after all the kiddos are gone. But how many know we're still kid at heart, aren't we? I don't feel like I ever, I don't think I felt like I aged after 20. Like anybody else like you just like stuck at 20? I know. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll take that for Jesus. But uh, anyway, so we have a lot of fun afterwards. We're already having a lot of fun, and I'm so glad you're here. And I believe that God has you here today to just exactly what you need in your life. And I'm just so ha happy that you're here. And, you know, when you come into a place where the word of God is in worship, you can't help but feel the presence of God. You know, and you, you can't help walking away with a little residue of who God is on your life. And we have prayed for this moment, and I believe that God will speak to you, to your heart, exactly what you need from the Lord. Because in this room, we have so many different people at different places in our life. And uh, we all need to hear something different from God. And that's the beauty of the word of God, that when the word comes from the Lord, it just can, they're like, man, that was just for me. I'll go out there, that was just for me. And then somebody else will walk up, I know that was just for me. And that's just how the Lord is, isn't it? Just to make sure that the word reaches us right where we're at. And so... I'm going to talk about, just briefly this morning, about a message called Overcoming the Past. And I think if there's any, any greater uh, place that the enemy uses in our life is to constantly remind us of our past. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you have and you've kind of fallen away. Or, or maybe we're just in Christ. And we do have all different ones here. That the enemy is always constantly reminding us how we're not good enough. And will cause us to reflect on the things that we've done in our past. Or maybe even things that happened to us in our past. Maybe you didn't do it, but it was happened to you. But the enemy always causes us to keep looking backwards and disappointment and shame and all that garbage. And when you come to Jesus, which is what we're talking about today, we come to the cross where the resurrected Savior and, and the blood that was shed on that cross for the forgiveness of our sin. When you surrender your life to Jesus, how many know your life does not get perfect? I wish there was a magic wand that just, man, life is A plus every day and I'm living high. And that's just not reality because we live in a real world, don't we? We live in a place where there's heartbreak and we live with other humans that can cause heartbreak. And, but when you come to Jesus and you give your life to him and you, you know that I'm in need of a savior, I'm in need of forgiveness of my sin, is then where God takes your sin and he washes it out of your life as if it never existed. The Bible says he casts a fire as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness say that with me say forgetfulness so when you come to Jesus even though we're not perfect and we'll read some scriptures this morning he forgives you of those sins and you are brand new but we have to understand that the enemy is coming in our life to accuse us and that's my number one point this morning is the enemy is going to always try to remind you of your past so if you keep looking back, you can never see who you really are today and where God is taking you. And every one of us in this room has regrets. Amen. Every one of us have things in our life. And I, I always say this, that we have the enemy and we also have the inner me. And sometimes I think the inner me is a lot worse than the enemy. Because we nurse and rehearse and all those things that trouble our minds and wish we wouldn't have or wish we would have and all these things. But coming to Jesus, you have a new day. You know, you have a new beginning when you come to the cross. And so I want to open up this morning to Revelations 12. How many are hot in here? I'm hot. I don't know if we can fix that. If we can, that would be awesome. Revelations 12. Um, 
uh, verse 9. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the devil today, not to give him any glory, but we need to recognize what has happened to the devil in our life. So in verse 9 it says this, and this is the prophetic uh, revelations of, of the end times and things to come. And in this verse it says, so the great dragon was cast out. Remember, Satan was an angel in heaven, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So we see where the, the devil was in heaven, and he wanted to be like God, and he was thrown down here on the earth. And I believe as Christians, the greatest time that we need to rise up as Christians in the world, it's right now today. That we need to remember who we are in Christ Jesus, and the Savior that we serve and the power that was given us through the redemption of the cross because the world needs to see Jesus today. The world needs to see the power of God like never before. I told first service when this weekend I was out at one of the gas stations and, you know, people aren't wearing masks in many places now. And I turned around to this lady behind me. And as I turned around to her, I just felt the power of God over me. And I had this little mini vision of what the Lord is about to do in the future of Christians. That God's power is about to visit us outside the local church. And I could just see myself, it was so crazy, lay hands on this woman, getting touched by by the power of God and being slain out in the Holy Spirit and really God touching her life right in a gas station. And the Lord showed me that that's what's going to begin to happen with believers, that God wants to show his power to the world, that not in a perfect little church setting, because how many know, many people won't come through the church doors for whatever perception, they, maybe they've been hurt or whatever, but if we're showing God's power in the world in demonstration, they will know God is real by the power of his spirit. But if we as Christ followers cannot know that the enemy has been defeated and we keep looking back in worthless we keep looking back in regrets. We'll never truly know who we are. And if the devil could keep us down and defeated, we'll never be life and power to the world. But if you can get a revelation of what really happened that moment you gave your life to Jesus, you will begin to change everything around you. I promise you this world is about to be touched with the power of God. How many is ready for that? There is a special move of God coming and he's preparing. He's preparing the church for that. In uh, John G. Lake, he was an evangelist way back, I forget what years, he, but years ago. And uh, he would go into cities and he would birth revival in the cities. But before he, could, before he would even step foot to preach, he would send in intercessors to the city. And the intercessors would walk and pray on the streets every day. Walk and pray. Pray conviction. Pray the power of God. Pray a visitation from God. And they would keep doing that literally until people were walking on their way to work. Just their normal everyday, not walking into church, not being moved by a beautiful worship service, walk into work, an ordinary day. And they would fall on their face on the streets and give their life to Jesus and say, what must I do to be saved? And then they would call or they'd write John G. Lake a letter and say, okay, you can come to town. We're ready for revival. See, revival will come to a city who is ready for it. And the world needs revival. The world needs the power of God because in the natural, it is quickly going to hell. Amen. And we need the church to arise. And so it really starts with realizing that the enemy has been defeated. So let me go over to Isaiah. I say this scripture verse a lot, but I really wanted you guys to see it in the word yourself. And this is prophetic about what happened to Satan. 
And it says this, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you have been cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nation. See, we have to understand that what we're facing in the world today is not a natural thing. And we could say, well, it's that political party. No, it's this political party. Oh, it's all this other stuff. And, and we've got our own agenda. But the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood. Now, the enemy would love for us to turn against one another and divide us, but that's not really our enemy. The Bible clearly states who weakened the nation? The devil weakened the nation. The devil wants separation. The devil wants us to all be in different corners and, and fighting one, with one another. Why? Because God has called the church to come together in the unity. So if the enemy can come and bring accusations, have you ever seen a time in the world where there's more accusations against hundreds of things? It's unbelievable to me. The Bible says more offenses are going to come in the last days, but the church has to come together and be unified. I may not agree with this, but what do we agree in? We agree with Jesus. I agree with the risen Savior. I agree with what the word says, and we better come together in that unity because the enemy would love to cause that division to weaken the nations. This nation needs the power of God. This nation doesn't need a perfect little political system. Policies, none of that matters. We need a visit from God. We need to have this nation on its knees in repentance to the Father. That's when revival will rise up. And all these little rattling sabers, all these distractions in the world will fade away when we lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus said, when I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. So guess, guess what? The banner that I raise is going to be Jesus. I'm not going to raise any other banner in this world, but I'm going to raise the banner of Jesus. Why? Because this world needs Jesus. Guess what? I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I need his restoration. I need his peace and hope in my life, even after serving him for 32 years. We need Jesus, and so does this world. So verse 13 in Isaiah, for you have said into your heart, talking about Satan, I will ascend into the heavens. I will extol my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. What was Satan full of? Pride. He wanted to be more than God. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. But verse, verse 15, and he was saying to him, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, which is hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. See, when Jesus died on that cross... Jesus defeated death, hell, amen? And he said that when, he, when Jesus died, he went into hell and he took the keys of life and death away from the devil. He stripped him of his authority. He stripped him. And the Bible says in Ephesians that when you come into Christ, he's given you the keys of the kingdom. He's given you the keys of life and death. That means you can unlock whatever the word of God says that you need in your life. God's given you authority and power. Satan was stripped. He has no power. He has no authority. And the only place he has in our lives is to accuse us of our past, to make us feel worthless, make us have regret, never seeing what Jesus really did for us. But you have to realize Jesus gave you full power and he gave you full authority. And the devil has been defeated. You can't say the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He didn't. God gave you authority, but you have to know what happened at the cross. And we're going to go through, through some of those scriptures to help you understand more today. But look at verse 16, which is the most powerful. Those who see you when he's been defeated will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble and shook kingdoms? 
We're, we're letting all this uprisal happen in our life and, and these emotions and all this stuff happening in media and all this garbage, which is such a distraction. It's a lie of the enemy. It's shaking the nations in disappointment and fear. And in reality, the devil's been defeated. And we have to know that God is the king of all kings, amen, that we now serve in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And when he is exposed in the end, when we go to heaven, you will see Satan for who he was. That's what this scripture says. And you'll look at it and go, that's what made me ashamed? That's what made me carry regret and disappointment? That? I gave up my however many years on earth for that. When Jesus said he's been defeated. And you've been given the power of God on the inside of you. So the enemy, what does he do? He can only accuse you by bringing up your past. What is the accuser? It's guilt. It makes that you committed a crime and it's shame. And if you think about it, when you came to the cross and you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, life did not get perfect, but you were forgiven. You were forgiven and all of your sins were washed. So when the enemy comes and he starts accusing you and reminding you of your past, really there is no past. So what happens? He is a false accuser. Now what happened may have been the truth, but what the enemy is targeting you with to make you feel worthless is a false accuser because it doesn't exist anymore. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever been false accused by someone? Raise your hand. It is the worst feeling in the world. And how many has ever had it put on Facebook about you and it was a lie? You don't have to raise your hand. Every one of us here. What happens when somebody false accuses me, I get so angry. Because I'm like, that's not even the truth. That's just a lie. You know, they're just coming against me. And what happens? We get angry when we're false accused and we want to validate ourselves. We want to run after that person and we want to vindicate ourselves. And maybe some of us do. I don't know. But I'm just trying to show you that when we get that angry after a false accusation from a human, we need to get so angry at the enemy when he false accuses us of our past. Because it is bought by the blood of the Lamb. And if God doesn't remember it no more, neither am I. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to press toward who God says that I am. Devil, you're a liar. And I already know you, you've been kicked to hell and you've been stripped of your authority. Matter of fact, I've got the keys, so you better back off, Jack. Amen? That's how the Christians need to be. Get out of my life. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. God doesn't remember it no more, and neither am I, because you have been defeated. It says in uh, Romans 4, 8, I love this scripture verse. Uh, in the English Standard Version, it says, Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed is the man. The, when you come to the cross, now listen, if you haven't come to Jesus yet, there's a tally of your sin. Because we need a redeemer. We need a savior. Jesus didn't come in vain just to have a cute Easter story. No, he laid his life down willingly. The Bible says no one took it from him. He laid it down that all of our sin could be upon him. So it wasn't in vain. But once I've been forgiven, God does not keep tally of my sin anymore. He isn't in heaven with a little chalk like this just counting up everything you've done. We need to rejoice that God does it. The only one who keeps tally is the enemy because he's the only one who wants to keep reminding you how worthless you are for Jesus. I tell my church all the time and for the new people, but I've always said if I based what I do for God and how I feel, I would do nothing for the Lord. 
I might have a little window of, oh, I feel good about Jesus today and do something. But no, my faith is anchored in what he did at the cross. My faith is not anchored in how I feel when I wake up in the morning. It's who God says that I am when I wake up in the morning. Amen. And so I have to, as a Christ follower, there are times in our journeys that we need to, before our feet even hit the ground, determine what my day is going to be in Christ. I went through one of the darkest seasons of my life about 12 years ago. It was dark and it was hard and I didn't know how I was going to get through it. And I'd wake up with depression and overwhelmed and I had to still go into ministry duties. I was at another ministry and I still had to show up and pray and preach and it was hard because I was going through my own personal hell. And I remember that I woke up one morning and I looked at the ceiling and it was like I was in Groundhog Day. You know that movie? I hate that movie. It like literally makes me... Nails on a chalkboard. I absolutely hate that movie. But that's what I felt like I was living in every day. And I finally woke up and said, you know what? I better decide what my day is before my feet hit the ground. Because if I don't decide my day, my day is going to decide me. And if the enemy's coming against you and you feel so overwhelmed with things in life or your past, you've got to open up your eyes and you've got to declare the word of God. This is the day the Lord has made. And I did that. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. God, I thank you that your joy goes before me. I thank you that your favor surrounds me as with a shield. And listen, I didn't feel like saying any of those things. I didn't feel like it, but I declared what the word of God said. And I promise you, I put those feet out. I began to get ready, had my coffee, which is the will of God, by the way. <laughs> I had my coffee. And before I get out that door and get in my car, I was in the joy of the Lord. I was able to step into something that wasn't in my soul when I woke up in the morning. That's the power of what Jesus has done for us. Why? Because he doesn't count my sin. Amen. The enemy wants us to keep looking back at our failures instead of looking to Jesus. If you look in the Old Testament, Lot and his wife and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah, God had desperately tried to rescue Sodom and Gomorrah. They cried out, God, if there's ten righteous people, will you save the city? And, and of course, no, not even ten righteous. And so Lot, God told Lot, get your family out of the city. And he gave him, told him one thing not to do. One thing. What was it? Don't look back. Why? Because there's nothing there for you anymore. I'm destroying it. I'm bringing you to where I see you in the future. Don't look back. And when they left, Lot's wife, who wasn't even named, couldn't help herself. And she looked back. And the Bible says she was instantly turned into a pillar of salt. Now, I don't know, growing up, I kind of always pictured like a statue, like she was running like, oh, you know, like I didn't never really, and I really couldn't find any preaching on what that really meant. Like, that's so weird, God. But when I studied the actual, what a pillar of salt was, it actually is a 720-foot mountain. And I forget how wide it was, but that's how tall it was. And so symbolically, God is saying, when you look back, you create a mountain that you have to get through now. Because Jesus made the way. Jesus forgave us of our sins. Jesus forgave you of your past. But when you keep reminiscing of the old, you keep creating this mountain. And guess what? Those mountains sometimes are too big. And we can't see past them. And we can't see our life better. And we can't see ourselves being a good husband or a good wife or a good parent or whatever you're called to do in life. Because we're looking at this mountain because we keep looking back. When Jesus says we have to look unto Jesus, which is the author, he's the one who wrote your life, and he's the finisher of your faith. 
So we got to quit looking in this lie, but I got to look to Jesus. Jesus, what are you saying about my future? What do you say about my life? And if you don't know where to begin, just stay in the New Testament and get in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Those will teach you who you are in Christ Jesus. They will teach you what the cross really did for you so you can walk in the benefits here on earth. How many know eternity in heaven is amazing? I'm so glad I'm going there, but I need some power here on earth. I need to know who I am today while the enemy keeps accusing me of my past and of the garbage in my life. So we can't look back. In uh, Luke 9, verse 62, it says this. They told him to put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. That means as you're moving forward, you've got a plow in your hand. And I, I have Elder Mike in, back in Wisconsin. I desperately wanted to have a garden. I don't know. I just desperately want to have a garden. And so I had this rocky area. It was stony and, and hard. And so Mike came over and he took the plow or a till and he had to till up that hard ground. He had to break up all the, 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 the stiff things, the decay, the rocks to do what's underneath to come up to the front. So when you plow, you turn the soil over and you bring the fresh nutrients to the surface. See, we've got this, this hard ground in front of us. We've got the impossible things that we don't know where our life's going to go, what's going to happen. But when I'm looking to Jesus, God is taking the hard things, digging them up, turning them upside down so that the good nutrients, the good soil of your life can produce good things. If you don't want to be where you're at today, a year from now, we got to look to Jesus. And i got to let God plow up the things in my life so I can see the goodness of God. How many want to see some good things from God? I'm tired of everywhere I look I see hard things and discouraging things and disappointing things. Our church is believing for Jubilee, which is what our t-shirts say. The year of Jubilee is restoration. All things new. Everything the enemy took, giving it back to you. I want to live that kind of life. And it's ours, but I have to know the enemy's been defeated, and I'm going to keep my eyes focused on Jesus and not look back. And when that plow is in your hand, you're burying the weeds and the decay of the ground. Isn't that good? So the things you're struggling with, and we all have them. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one more righteous person in this room than the other, including the pastor. My righteousness is in Christ Jesus. I had to go to the same cross we all go to. Amen. So I still have to allow God to take away the decay. 32 years in Jesus and I'm still allowing God to work things out. Why? Because we get disappointed. See, when you came to Jesus, he forgave you of everything prior and he forgives you of everything to come. That's the grace of the cross. So I'm constantly needing to come back into Jesus. But when I know that, I can go to the cross when I mess up. I can go to the cross when I'm angry, when I've been offended, when somebody betrayed me, all those things that trouble our heart. I can go to the cross because I know that he has forgiven me. Amen? Okay, so let's keep going this morning. The second thing is, um, oh, blesses the man. Let me stay there really quick. In 1 John 1, 7, it says this. If I can find it. But walk in the light. But if we walk in the light, who is the light? Jesus. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when I'm being accused by the enemy of my past constantly, you know, he's always coming back with the things I did wrong. I'm walking in darkness. 
I'm walking in places I can't see the truth. So when the accuser comes, what do we do? I have to get back into the light. What is the light? The word of God. I have to get where Jesus is. I have to get what the word of God says on the situation. The Bible says that he's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So when the accuser comes, all he wants to do is bring me into darkness. So you have to recognize that when he's accusing you, he just wants to take you out of the light of who God is so you can't see the truth of where you need to go. You can't see the truth of who God says that you really are. So we have to get back to the light. And what's in the light? The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all my sin. But if the enemy keeps us in our past and bound, we can never see the true forgiveness that God has given us in our life. All right, number two this morning. The devil will remind us of our sins and our failures. Remind us of our sin, not just looking back, but he reminds you of the ugly things. I always say this, the real you is speaking at night like when you first go to bed or when you first wake up in the morning. Do you ever have this voice on the inside of you that just begins to speak the things that you don't like about yourself, the things that you're not happy with, the things that you're stressed out about? That's the real you. Those are the real feelings that you're facing. And we have to realize that God is in those feelings. And so in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, I love this so much. It says this, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Like God's trying to bring you in that place where you don't have to be in a sin nature. And if anyone sins, because we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Son. Stop right there a minute. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Son. So Jesus advocated for you. That means when you came to the cross, he said, I will take away their sins. I will in their stead be the one to take the sin away from them so they don't have to suffer the consequences. That's an advocator. But if you really look at that word advocate, it is so powerful. The first part of that word means highly sensitive about the feelings of others. Now what you need to understand is, remember, Jesus doesn't keep record of your sin. So when you're struggling, that word advocate, he didn't redeem you from your sin, which is the best part of it, but he said, I'm sensitive to how you're feeling. God cares that you're hurting. God cares that you've had a broken moment and be dis- been disappointed. God cares when you're lonely. He is highly sensitive about how you feel. That's why he sent his son to redeem that from you. And listen, this message of the cross, we, we give it corporately and it's wonderful, but this, this, the message of the cross is just for you and you and you. you. It's It's intimate. The forgiveness of God was for you, not just this big church. Otherwise, it's just a message for everybody. It's like, well, let's just see where it catches, right? A little scattergun, who it lands on. No, the cross was intimate. Jesus saw you. He was an advocate for you and how you're feeling right now. I matter to God. When I wake up worried or fearful, God knows my feelings, and that matters. And that's why he said when he died, he resurrected to the Father, and he says he still makes intercession for you. He's still advocating for you. God is not iron-fisted, ready to give you consequences for your sin. Religion will put that on you. But that is not the heart of God. He sent his son for forgiveness. Now, when we come into this relationship, he starts cleaning us up. He starts getting rid of the garbage, thank God, the weeds and, and all behaviors. And I don't change my behavior to come to Christ. I come to him because I got bad behaviors and I need a savior. And then he begins to work it out in my life. 
But we have to see God in this way that he's advocating for me. It also means that he's gentle and caring. But the most important definition of this word advocate that I just about did a uh, cartwheel, which I don't even think I know how to do it anymore. But it means this. It means a strong focus on the future. So when Jesus advocated for you and forgave you, he only sees you in the future. He sees you loving. He sees you forgiven. He sees you whole. He sees you in a happy marriage. He sees you loving your children. God sees you the way that he sees Christ in you. And that's why the devil hates you so much. Because you have God, the power of God, living on the inside of you. The anointing of God is on the inside of you. Devil wanted that anointing and glory, and he lost that battle. So when he looks at you, he sees God in you, and he hates you and is jealous of you. And the only power he has is to remind you how horrible you are. Amen? That's the only power that he has because he sees God in you. But at the same point, when God looks at you, he sees himself. He sees his son. He sees your future. The Bible says that God wrote a book about you. I learned that verse when I was really young. God wrote a book about you. And I, and I saw this grandstand library in heaven. It's not in the Bible, but he said he wrote a book, so there must be a library somewhere. But he said he wrote a book about you. He knew you before you were even born. He's the author of your life. That means he knows the beginning and end of your life, every trial, every disappointment, every failure, but he made a way where there seems to be no way. He's forgiven you. And, you know, I, I always say when I get to heaven, I can't wait to, like, my first thing is I want to find Jesus and give him a great big hug. And I want to high-five Mo Moses and say, I got you, Moses. I know why you struck the rock. Not everybody will get that, but Moses and I will know exactly why I'm high-fiving him. And then I want to run to the library, and I want to find my book. And I want to know, God, did I do everything that you saw I could do in my life? Did I fulfill what you believed in me? And I bet you I probably will only fulfill just a little bit. But I want to do as much as I can to see myself who God sees me. Do what God's called me to do in this journey on earth. Because he saw it in me first. And that's how God sees you because he loves you. He's the advocate. And then it goes in verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means this. The wrath of God is satisfied. But you have to understand, it's not God's wrath at you. And that's where people get it all messed up. It's the wrath of sin. It was the, the, uh, the impurity in the world. And that wasn't okay with God because it separated from relationship. So when he became the propitiation, he said, I'm satisfied. They've been forgiven. I sent my son. And now I can have this relationship with them because my wrath of sin has been satisfied. That means the devil can't accuse you anymore because God has been satisfied. The gavel has been laid. Amen. Is that the right word? The gavel has been laid. And we have freedom. So when you have Jesus, right, you have to understand he was the payment of your sin. He was the peace offering, which gives you peace. He was the compensation for my sin. And everything done at the cross has redeemed me. And John 1.29, it says this. John, John um, said this as Jesus was coming towards him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here was John the Baptist who, who had all of his problems, but he had a revelation 
of Jesus when he saw him. The Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. We have to have that same revelation of the cross. That it is Jesus who took away all of my sin, all of my shame, all of my mistakes have been nailed at that cross. You know, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if I'm not in Christ, I'm going to have a lot of condemnation. But when we're in Christ, he says there's no condemnation. So what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Conviction is this. Conviction is, I don't want to do that anymore. God, I want to be better. I really love you and I want to serve you. I'm, I'm struggling, God. It's a heart that is bent towards God. Condemnation says, I'm not even going to try. Why bother? I'll, I'll never be better. I'll never get free of that thing. But see, when you're bought at the cross, you have no more condemnation. I have the conviction of God. In my journey of serving the Lord, I am so thankful for his conviction. If I ever in my walk with the Lord did not have conviction, I would be troubled in my heart. Because I would want God to always challenge my heart for the things that concerns him. Amen. Conviction is a good thing as long as it's not in condemnation. So let's look. We have a couple more minutes this morning, and then I'm going to let you go and have some fun. But in Philippians 3, I just have a couple more scripture verses. And I know I'm giving you guys a lot of word, but I believe it's going to stick in your heart. Amen. Philippians 3. Can't find it. Where's my Philippians? Okay, here we go. I got my handy-dandy markers. All right. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 12 says this. And this is Paul saying, not that I have already attained, attained or am already perfected. This is Paul who was a killer of Christians. If you, if you study Paul, he would be like a modern-day ISIS. He went into people's homes that served God. They were Christians. He'd pull them out of their homes, torture, and kill them. This is what this man did. He said, not that I'm there already attained. Has anybody felt like that in your walk with God? Like, man, I just ain't quite there yet. Like, I'm still struggling with stuff. Well, guess what? So is he. He said, but what do I do? I press on. I got my past screaming at me. I don't feel good enough or worthy, but I'm still going to press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. That means if I quit looking back, I'm going to reach for the joy that God has for me. I'm going to reach for the, the happiness. I'm going to reach for the good marriage, having, having children that serve Jesus or whatever you desire in your life. When you're looking to Jesus, you're going to keep reaching for all that he has for you. And you may have the enemy back here wanting you to look back and you say, nope, I'm going to keep my eyes focused on Jesus in my life. Let's go. And, and that word uh, perfected means mentally, morally. You have to see that God sees better for you. Verse 13, he continues to say, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. You have to remember, he can probably write these scripture verses because the enemy was probably always reminding him of what a horrible person he was. But he decided, he learned the lesson that I'm not there. I'm still falling short. But the one thing I do is I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. And I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. What does that mean? I'm forgetting and I'm reaching. I'm forgetting and I'm reaching. You can't do one without the other. I have to forget and I have to reach. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep on looking back you got you got to do it by faith in what God did at the cross, amen? 
Our focus and our future has to be on the things that are ahead, not on those things that are behind. And verse 14, he continues to say it. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We have to keep pressing on, amen. When you've done all to stand, you just keep on standing. Listen, if Paul would have bought into the accusations of the enemy, he'd have never been used by God in the New Testament. He was the man who launched the first revival in the chapter of Acts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people come into Jesus. That's a pretty good church service, don't you think? That's revival. That was Paul, who was a killer of Christians. If he could be used by God, I don't think any of y'all have been running around killing people lately, right? God can use you no matter what you've been through. You've been chosen by God from the foundation of the earth. Where was I at here? Forgot what verse I was. Okay, let's just keep going. All right, so if he can realize that I have to let go of those things of the past, how much more do we need to let go of those things and press on to who God says that we are, amen? All right, the third thing we have to do this morning is um, uh, Jesus turns around the good things for the bad. So that's the third thing we have to realize. Whatever happened bad in your life, God will turn it around for good. And I want to read Romans 8, 28, and it says this, For we know that God works all things together for good to those who are love God and are the called according to his purpose for them. Whatever happened in your life, God can use it for good. And you think, well, how could that happen? Well, when you get on the other side and you've been healed and you've been forgiven, and even though you think your story is, is shameful and hurtful, God will send someone to you to share your story, to share the power of Jesus Christ. And you do that from a place of being healed. So you don't have to be ashamed of the past. God will turn it for good and he'll use it for your glory. There's no pain wasted with God. Your pain is a story. Your pain is a place of victory where God will set someone else free. Because you've been there. You know what it feels like. You know what walking through condemnation and shame feels like. But when you've been forgiven and you know it, you want to tell that story to anybody who's willing to listen. God will work it out for good. You don't have to, have to carry the shame. And listen, you don't have to try to figure it out. You have to quit trying to vindicate yourself. If family members can't look past it, don't worry about them. You keep your eyes on Jesus. If friends keep trying to remind you, don't worry about it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You let your life be your story. I told some friends of mine who are going to be doing an outside ministry here soon. And, I, and you know, I, I said, you can share a lot with people, but how you live is a more story than what you say. Because people can tell you a lot of stuff. But I want to see how you live it, right? So you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Just live for Jesus. And you'll make mistakes. You get back up. Everybody makes mistakes, right? We all fall short. But we get back up in Jesus. Say, I get back up. I get back up. So if you notice the tapestry, you know, those, I wish I had one here today. I, I would have had it. But if you have the backside of a tapestry, it is a hot mess, you know, and there's, there's these strings going all these different directions, and it doesn't make sense. And, and that looks like our life, like life was good, and then I made a bad choice, and, and then this happened, and this, this mistake I made, and that wrong relationship. And all of a sudden, our life just seems like this hot mess. And you wonder, how can God ever straighten this thing out? Well, when you're in Jesus, even in the hot mess, he works all things together for good. 
So if we get out from behind the tapestry, turn it around and get in front of it, you'll see the picture that God made when you weren't looking. You'll see the glory that God will turn your life around when you get out from looking at the past and get front of what God has done. Amen. Because God has forgiven us. Jeremiah 29, 11, last scripture verse, I promise, says this. For I know, this is God, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That is the message of the cross today. So I'm going to ask you today, do you know Jesus? Have you met the Savior at the cross? And I'm not just talking about a religious experience. I mean, is there something within you that says, I need a Savior? I need to visit the cross. God is calling you today. He's calling your heart. You're here this morning for this message of hope and forgiveness. And I want to give you that opportunity today and maybe... You've never accepted Jesus, and this is all new to you. This is the best gift that we can give you today. And it's the best gift that could ever come to me as a pastor for someone to give their life to Jesus. Everything would have been worth it all. The train rides, the icy cones, whatever. Would have been this moment is why we're here. It's for someone's heart to be touched by Jesus, right? That's why we're here for. That's why we do these things is so that you have an opportunity to meet the Savior. And listen, you're not going to walk away perfect, just like Paul. You're not going to figure it all out. You won't, but it's a journey. And that's why you need community. That's why you need a church. That's why you need fellowship, so that we who are a little ahead in this journey can help you. We can guide you along the way and help you understand this journey of your faith in God. You can't do it alone. Amen? You can't do it alone. You need friends, Christian friends and fellowship to really survive, especially in the times we're living in today. So maybe you're away from the Lord. This is the perfect day to come back to Jesus. And maybe you're just under a lot of condemnation. And it's time to just break those chains of condemnation and really make Jesus the Lord of our life. Amen. So I want everyone just to say this prayer with me today. I'm going to ask everyone to say it. For someone who may be saying it for the first time next to you, who just needs a little courage to say it today. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. That's the goodness and the grace of the cross. The Bible says he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. And when you take your last breath here and you enter into eternity, you will face that great right throne and God will open up that book and he'll find your name there. Amen. He'll find your name written there. And that would be God's desire today. So just repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, I'm asking you, to forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my life. Free me from guilt, shame, condemnation. I receive your free gift today. In Jesus' name. Amen. With all eyes still closed for a moment, I'm not going to call you forward or call you out, but I would like you to acknowledge at least to, to the Lord today that you gave your life to him. And if you said that prayer today in any facet of what I mentioned, just shoot your hand up real quick and put it down just all over this room. Just say, I said yes to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see hands everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They're just going everywhere. I can even raise my hand for any garbage that I'm carrying too. So, Father, we thank you today for this wonderful time that we've celebrated you, Jesus. I know that every one of us are going to walk out impacted somehow with your spirit today. 
I thank you that you give us a great day today. Fun, fellowship, laughter, Lord God. Let all the families enjoy the festivities today. And we just thank you for this amazing day. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. I love you all so much. I'm so glad you're here today. Happy Easter.